Joshua, you know, there's the old adage that um, everyone works in sales, but I think that everyone works in education, at least in B2B SaaS. We are all educators, no matter what your job role is. Welcome to the B2B Digitized Podcast, where leaders of B2B technology startups and scale-ups learn how to use digital transformation to differentiate, educate, build trust, improve competitive positioning, close sales faster without compromise, and scale revenue growth. Now here's your host, Joshua Feinberg from SP Home Run. Hi, it's Joshua Feinberg from the B2B Digitized Podcast, and I have a very special guest in front with me today, Angela Hicks. Angela is Director of Education and Training at TapClix. Angela, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Joshua, thanks for having me. It's so great to be here. Likewise. So the first place that I usually like to start with most guests is for you to give us a little bit of context on how you ended up in your current role. What was your current journey? Did you know that you always wanted to get into some facet of customer education and and using education to grow a, a technology company? Sure, that's a great question. The answer is absolutely not. I did not know that was where I would end up. Um, I actually have a BFA in graphic design and an MA in advertising and PR. I've always loved technology and using computers and software. So that's always been something that I've enjoyed even as a very young child. But um, after I finished graduate school, I did have a teaching fellowship and I kind of got the itch to um, teach people great things. So I've spent most of my career working in SaaS. Um, I've worked at Apple, HubSpot, and now I'm at TapClicks. That's terrific. And you're really, it's a great time inflection point to be thinking about the role of companies in deploying education because so much of what we've gone through in the last 12 months or so has challenged K to 12 and challenged higher education to rethink of creative ways. But you know, now we have seen over the last five, five, six, seven years, and, and SaaS especially, that there's a really strong playbook around using education to attract the right people and get the right messaging out there and build alignment. Absolutely. Joshua, you know, there's the old adage that um, everyone works in sales, but I think that everyone works in education, at least in B2B SaaS. We are all educators, no matter what your job role is. Yeah, I mean, you keep seeing that trend that people have been talking about for the last one, two, three years about instead of building a traditional marketing team, build a media company, the role of trying to get uh, sales and customer success very actively involved in being seen as educators and thought leaders and advisors. It definitely seems a really important part of the playbook for high growth B2B tech companies. I agree. So with all of that in mind, what advice would you offer to someone that's just getting started in working for a B2B focused company, either in marketing or sales or customer success or support or onboarding or or training and education? What do you think is the most important area that someone should concentrate on that's right out of school that's getting started in this kind of role? I think for someone that's just getting started, um, really finding 
what kind of content you enjoy creating and you're good at. So, uh, you know, there are so many ways that you can tell a good and educational story and then the format of that content, what that looks like. Uh, I think that's just really important, much like, you know, this this conversation that we're having now, you know, this could have very easily been a blog post or lots of other different types of content. So that's what I would recommend is um, when you're just getting started, really stretching um, out to try all different forms of content creation. So for someone that may be comfortable writing a blog post, what would you say is the next logical step for them to evolve into turning the microphone on and try audio if they're comfortable with audio, getting them to try video if they're comfortable with video, maybe video in front of more people? Is there Do you see like a logical progression with that to be able to fill those different modalities? Or do you feel that there's certain kinds of people that are just really well suited for one kind of format and uh, they're best by just really getting uh, like mastercraft at that kind of format? Yeah, I mean, creativity is certainly a skill and a, a muscle that you can gain and stretch. So um, I think for that person, if they wrote a blog post, trying to repurpose that content, there's no need to just create brand new content every single time. Um, but taking that content that you have and trying to figure out what is the short form and what is the longer form. Um, so, you know, with that blog post, can I turn it into an audio snippet? Am I going to share it on social? What would that message be? What would the visual be to accompany that audio? Um, and then of course, video. I think, uh, especially over the past few years, we've all gotten a little more comfortable being on video since it's um, a part of everyone's day these days at work. Video is a really interesting, animal as well to be tackling and thinking about in the context of what we just went through. Because I think about to three, four, five years ago when I'd have a conversation with a small business client and they were brand new to video, their first reaction was thinking that they needed to find a couple thousand dollars for a professional video shoot to bring in a videographer for a half a day. And they'd have this overproduced video that took like two or three months to go live. And because it was so painful and so expensive and time consuming, it would sit under like museum glass for two or three years and not be touched and you go back to them and say, Hey, wait a second, you know, that information isn't current. It needs to be maintained. And by the way, there's six other verticals and five other products that we need similar videos for. I think what one of the silver linings that we've gone through is it seems like people have finally gotten a little more comfortable with the idea that they can get an A minus or a B plus in production value. Um, but the content value and being able to get the content out fast seems to matter. Finally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Not just about the aesthetics. Right. There's there's always a trade-off, right? I Even if you have the budget, you have the space, you have the equipment, it's still going to take time to plan. And you're right. We've seen this shift over the past few years. People have finally been like, oh, with video, you know, I can move very quickly. So it is a great medium to use for um, getting this, you know, ever shifting message out very quickly. It's like Zoom has become the new studio and yes. the production equipment is the webcam and perhaps a better microphone, perhaps a better headset, maybe a little bit of lighting, but like an order of magnitude easier order of magnitude less expensive, less of an initial investment than people would have done in the past. And um, 
for years, everyone's been throwing around the statistics that by like in the next year or two, that 80% of the traffic on the web was on the internet was going to be video. And it seems like we're headed in that direction awfully right. quickly. Yeah. I, I think if you look to YouTube or Twitch's numbers, that's, yeah. that's definitely where we are. <laughs> yeah. And it's like TikTok, there's just so many, it's, it, there was longer videos. Now there's videos for people that are attention starved. They can only pay attention for 10 or 15 seconds, but videos become a really, really big medium. So that's really great advice for the beginner to start with just one particular content format and eventually grow from there. It could be someone that's working in a supporter or sales role that realizes that every time they document a ticket or have a conversation, they're potentially coming up with the content idea. Uh, it could be someone that's a blogger that grows into podcasting, a podcaster that grows into videos or webinars or offline webinars, in-person uh, events. What what strategy, what advice, what insight could you offer to someone that has been in a B2B technology role in marketing or sales or customer success or onboarding, and maybe they're 10, 15, 20 years into their career and the last year has been really difficult. Maybe their company had a lot of turnover. Maybe their team had a lot of turnover. Maybe they're in an industry that's particularly hard. What advice would you offer them to use to help reset and get back on track? So Joshua, at TapClicks, I spend a lot of time um, working with customers that are using our platform to bring all of their data together and really get a unified look at all of their campaigns, everything that's going on across all of their platforms. So that advanced marketer that you're talking about, uh, what comes to mind for me is uh, kind of some confirmation bias that can occur when you have all of that data. So by confirmation bias, I mean, you are looking for the data that supports what you think should be your next step. So I, I think um, when you can find what you're looking for, support your, your claim and build a good argument with data, that can be kind of dangerous. So my recommendation is to really expand your horizons. Um, quantitative data is fantastic, but don't forget about qualitative data. Uh, if you've been working with your company for 10 plus years, uh, you probably know your personas um, have written, you know, many an article about them. You have just quite the bio on them. But, um, you know, really take some time to do some more research and interviews to make sure that your persona hasn't changed. If, you're biz if you've been in the business for a decade, your products and services have changed. That's, that's just the reality. So that means that your personas continue to change, their needs change. Um, so that would be my advice for the advanced marketer. Do you think there's a danger in that sometimes the easiest things to measure with attribution are the ones that are put up on a pedestal and some of the more difficult things to quantify are often ignored because you're trying to make the numbers to have it you know, look like you're being successful up the chain and board reporting and everything else that comes with KPIs and OKRs. And Right. I mean, Joshua, we were just talking about video and, you know, I could certainly surface some numbers like look at all of these views that we're having. We need to really double down on our efforts with video instead of, you know, going in this direction and putting more content on this channel. Um, you know, that could be easy for me to find if I've been working with marketing analytics for a while. 
it's kind of like the classic case of chasing the vanity metric as opposed to being grounded in something we've talked about for years, the smart goals, the ones that are relevant to the overall mission of the business and being grounded right. on what you're trying to accomplish. And with it's, if it's onboarding, it's probably product utilization and retention. If it's customer success, maybe it's expansion. Marketing has their top and middle of the funnel. Sales has their bottom of the funnel. But yeah, it's, it, I could totally see how someone looking for easy answers finds what's in front of them and tries to craft a story around that as opposed to taking a step back and doing like the five whys, right? Yeah, yeah. That's really important, especially, you know, when you've been um, in your role for so long. Get out of the, the kind of tunnel vision of it. Yeah hanging around with the same people all the time. <laughs> How do you see the role of B2B changing as someone is planning a strategy to go through a full life cycle from awareness to consideration to decision to post-purchase? What are you thinking about with education, training, and content to take the context of like a life cycle into account? Yeah. So we've had very um, sophisticated buyers for a long time. They want to learn a lot way before they get involved with sales, right? We have that luxury for finding prospects that really want to know what our products and services are. So um, you really need to provide as much content uh, that that person, that individual needs, as well as all of the others that are involved in that purchasing process. So I know um, a couple of years ago, they talked about for a B2B, it's almost eight people that are involved in every single purchase. So that's a lot of stakeholders that you have to get on board. Um, in fact, Joshua, I was talking with a friend of mine who is not in B2B, but she was telling me about some new software that they were going to be using at her company. It's rather technical. And um, she was telling me that, oh, you know, I'll learn this. But she, I asked her, I was like, well, why are you changing software? And she didn't really tell me what the benefit was to her, the end user, the person that was going to be using that software. She didn't learn that in her training. And I, of course, was really disappointed that she was going to have to learn software and didn't understand how it was going to help her in her job um, work more efficiently. But um, I just wanted to share that story that sometimes we forget about all of those stakeholders. Um, there is a switching cost. You know, whenever we take on new software, we really need to take into account every person that's going to be using that software. Yeah, you bring up a couple of really great points. Like when you think about the decision by committee and more and more stakeholders being involved, it's more and more people where you have to find what the value is for them throughout the whole evaluation purchase implementation cycle. And if three or four of those eight people aren't really clear on how it helps them, uh, you don't really have an internal champion. You have potentially an internal detractor, right? Right. If, uh, it starts to unravel. And then the content piece, when I talk to companies that are just getting started with this kind of initiative, it's usually one extreme or the other as they look at some 
large company that has dozens or hundreds of people that are creating blogs and podcasts and they they think that they're going to emulate that in the first six months to a year or they just see that oh okay yeah we have a white paper and we did a webinar once and it didn't work and now we're not going to do content anymore and you just think about the sheer number of eight stakeholders three four five different stages that they go through and you start to realize very quickly that it seems like companies that don't have a strong content editorial process kind of publishing engine and mindset and culture behind this are going to fall behind awfully quickly and may not recover. Right. And, you know, with content, those those different stakeholders have different levels of interest. Unfortunately, those eight people, they're not all going to have the same level of investment in education. So, um, you know, perhaps the person that's in charge of the budget, maybe the person in finance, they just might not want to know every last detail about your software. Um, they just don't have the time and it's not going to necessarily impact their day to day, but they do need enough information to make an informed decision. Seems like that goes along with the trend also that I've seen in the last year or two where the role of the product marketing manager seems to be a lot more front and center as more and more companies in the B2B space are trying to create frictionless purchase experiences where they're hearing repeatedly that people don't want to go through two or three levels of sales qualification and to spend a half hour proving to the sales development rep that they are have permission to speak to the real sales rep to really find out what the product is and what the pricing. It seems like if anything, what we've gone through in the last year, there's going to be an acceleration towards making it easier for people to try, look at the whole product-led growth movement. All seems to be supporting the same general trend that buyers are in control. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, we've, we've always talked about creating content for all phases of the life cycle, uh, as well as for different personas. But I, I think it is a little more clear for me just thinking about what kinds of educational content a person might need based on what, what their role is as a stakeholder. That's great advice content grounded in content. And these are their assets over time. What a lot of people don't realize also when they're thinking and they're trying to compare these to a one-time training event or a one-time marketing event, they're thinking that they're going to have something ROI-wise to measure when, the, when, when it initially launches, when in reality, if it's reasonably evergreen, um, it will need some maintenance over time, certainly as SaaS platforms change, uh, customer onboarding and training can become out of date very relatively quickly in a matter of weeks or months, but these definitely the whole, these programs typically are assets. Yeah. And Joshua, I would say, you know, further along education is a great way for someone to get a sense of your products and services. Um, demos are great, but again, not everyone is going to have the time, interest, or perhaps the know-how to really make good use of a demo or a, a trial experience. So um, again, education, that, that kind of content can really help you out here. For that person that maybe is not going to use the software, doesn't know how, you know, providing enough um, educational content, whether that's a, a video showing walkthroughs, um, 
of course, written information, instructional content, uh, describing how things work, that can really help um, with further stages in that journey to becoming a customer. Oh, yeah. I want to think about the education. It seems it's solving one of the most important things with potential buyers of uh, building trust. Yes. And depending on the kind of buyer, if you think about someone that's like an IT role or an engineering role that's higher levels of higher education, like PhD, that it seems the level of cynicism would be even higher. The mistrust of marketing and sales claims would be, it'd be even more nervous about that and using education, using trials, getting to see behind the scenes is more important than ever for overcoming people's fear. Right, right. And, you know, I think you would see that in your churn rate. And a way that you can get ahead of that is to make sure that you're not landing the wrong kinds of customers. And I think that most of the time, the wrong kind of customer comes from being an, you know, an ill-informed prospect. Focusing on short-term results as opposed to finding good long-term. Right. Yeah. yeah. So with that in mind, what do you see as the biggest mistake that B2B focused teams are making with their overall strategy? Is it thinking too myopically when it comes to looking for data to tell the story that you already are convinced that you're going to tell? Is it looking at vanity metrics? Is it thinking too short term? What's the single biggest error that you see people making with their B2B strategy? Yeah. So Joshua, you know, we've all been rather resilient in trying times, but uh, that has also kind of caused a, a great enlightenment period for creativity. I've seen a lot of people, you know, stretching out of their comfort zone and experimenting, trying lots of new things in marketing um, during such uncertain times. And with that, I, I think a mistake that's happening is that we're not evaluating those things. We all just kind of needed to move quickly, take some risks. Um, but now is the time to kind of step back and and reevaluate. You know, we tried TikTok over the past eight months. How is that actually doing? Um, are we getting the results that we want from that channel? That seems to be the mistake that people are making, just continue to spread out and try new things, but not coming back together and evaluating how things fit into your strategy. See, it's like being spread too thin and not really connecting the investments to the priorities for that persona or just the overall business goals. Right. Like, let's, let's just try this. Let's see how this goes. Um, but it's good to kind of regroup and, and see if that is working towards what you're really trying to accomplish. So in closing, where do you see B2B marketing, sales, customer success, onboarding, education and training heading in the next 18, 24 months or so? Do you see something that's going on right now that's going to be a major inflection point where we're going to look back and be like, oh, yeah, that was the big thing that really changed it all with how people were getting better value, how companies were getting better value, how companies were growing, utilization was growing? I think that we've seen um, a lot more automation and we have been expanding to more channels. So I think that 
things are just going to get a little more complicated. As, as you know, when you take on um, a new communication method, you do need to monitor and analyze that to see how, how your campaigns are doing, how effective is your storytelling. So I think we are going to you know, try even harder to get a good glimpse into the omni-channel, like what we're doing with all of our marketing efforts. Um, and, and I think something is going to change in terms of automation. I think it's going, I hope it's going to get easier um, in the next 18 to 24 months. So as we're trying to make sense of what's working really, really well, what's marginal, what's not working at all, um, the thought is that we'll have some tools that will help us in a better automated way figure out what's actually working and helping us optimize without having to dive in and out of 10, 20, 30 different tools and try to have different ways of measuring actually all make sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with my day to day sitting in education, I have seen um, educators from all over, even in K through 12, really thinking through how we measure the effectiveness of education. So, um, you know, perhaps if you were teaching third grade five years ago, maybe you had just um, standardized tests and in the classroom experiences to to count on and rely on. But um, even even that industry is really thinking through what metrics matter. I've seen even with my own kids how much there have been some teachers that really embraced getting really good at running Google Meets and how to engage the class and what to do the right way, wrong way with webcam and audio. And some of them have just been in deer and headlights. And a lot of the signs were probably starting three, four or five years ago because a lot of the schools were providing professional development days around the technology and some of the teachers were embracing it and some of them not so much. And this has forced an acceleration of tech adoption. Some have done well, some have uh, not. And I think in a lot of cases, they're going to figure out like, what is the future of education going to look like to take all of this into account going forward? Right. I mean, as we know, playing a video or visiting a page, getting a view does not equal engagement. So I, I do think that's what we will see more of in education, even more analytics that help us understand when someone is actually engaged and learning. It's terrific. And learning helps solve so many challenges with both upskilling uh, to enable people to propel their careers forward, propel their companies towards goals, and their SaaS partners to make sure that they're helping to deliver value all around and getting everyone on the same page. Right. So that's terrific. Angela, thanks so much for sharing so generously today. What's the best way for someone to reach out to you if they want to connect or have any questions? Are you is LinkedIn a good place for you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Great. And if they want to learn a little bit more about what you're working on at uh, TapClicks, is there a particular resource that you'd send them to follow on social media or the website? Or um, Yeah, I would say to go to tapclicks.com, take a look around. Um, we certainly have an academy just linked at the top there. So you could come learn with me how to use TapClicks. That's terrific. Angela, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I wish you all the best and definitely look forward to keeping in touch. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Joshua. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Digitized podcast. To subscribe and leave a review, check us out at b2bdigitized.com or wherever you like to consume podcast episodes, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube.